I'm Mark Ficciani. Welcome to Forge Your Path. To see the type of impact he's been able to have on the lives of his athletes is really inspiring. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Forger Path podcast. I got a great one to share from the vault. Uh, this one really goes back about 30 years. And I had a chance to catch up with my best friend, Ryan Schneider, the other day. And, and we were reminiscing over the story that is just one of those you just scratch your head and just chuckle at. And, uh, and, and the more we thought about it, it was just a great one to be able to share because it's got some teeth to it once you get under the hood a little bit. So let me take you back to the olden days. We're going to go all the way back to 1993. So we're heading back 30 years. And I was blessed back in the summertime to have just one of those killer summer jobs that, that I loved. I loved to be outside and always loved getting sun during the summertime. I'm Pablo the penguin that hated the cold so you put me anywhere warm i'm gonna be happy and we got a job working for a family friend of my father's where our task was simple they own a bunch of apartment complexes and so my buddy ryan and i were on landscaping duty every day we'd show up we would trim the hedges rake up all of the the clippings that were on the ground and keep moving from bush to bush, building to building, rinse and repeat all day long. So in the summertime, these were these eight-hour days flew by. And again, I love the heat. So 90-degree weather, 100-degree weather didn't really bother me all that much. Because again, I love being outside. And as a college wrestler, I just love the chance to get outside, move my body a little bit, catch some rays. And, and it made for some good laughs. So... Ryan and I started this job probably in mid-June, being back from school, and there were about four different sites we had to hit that had about 50 buildings apiece. So every day we would alternate who was on the hedge trimmer, who was on the rake. And so we, we made it through three different towns where they had the apartment complexes. Uh, the first one was out in Parsippany, second one was out in Cedar Grove, uh, I think they had a third property over in Parsippany. And then for the last stretch of summer, we were headed out west to a pretty rural spot called Hackettstown. Now, the X factor about Hackettstown was it was, instead of being about a half an hour from our houses, it was a good hour away. So it was a haul. And for whatever reason out there, if it was 90 degrees in Parsippany, it was going to be 97 in Hackettstown. If it was 95 in Parsippany, it was going to be 102 in Hackettstown. So we had about a good four-week stretch out there and with a couple hundred-plus degree days. And it was just in that middle of summer heat wave. But again, we're having a blast. So we're getting to the dog days of summer. It's first week of August and a couple weeks before we go back to college. And it's been a, it's been a ripper of a heat wave. I think we had every single day was over a hundred. So we're just pounding Snapple iced tea and water all day long. And, and I'm always covered head to toe because I've got a pretty uh, uncanny ability to get poison ivy. So 
I've got sweatpants on, full length uh, shirt, long sleeves, like an Under Armour, got a hat on and wearing gloves because don't want to get poison ivy. I still wind up getting it most of the time anyway. I don't know how, but I'm covered head to toe. So uh, after our first week in Hackettstown, we decide on a Friday night that we've had a pretty, pretty kick-ass stretch here. We're spent after this week. And you know what? Let's go have a good time. Let's catch up with some buddies Friday night. And we're going to pick up a case of beer. Now, mind you, if you could have taken a couple of mug shots of Ryan and I, we were the last two guys ever that were going to be chosen to lead a beer run. I don't think I, I guess I'm what you would, would have called a late bloomer. So I think it's funny watching my girls grow up. They're cracking five foot before sixth grade even begins. And I remember distinctly how proud I was when I, I, pushed through the five-foot milestone at the end of eighth grade. By junior year, I don't even think I was shaving yet, but I think I bought a razor because I felt like it was the thing to do because I know other classmates of mine were shaving since eighth grade or freshman year. So at the age of, of 19 at this point, I'm 19 going on 16. And if there's anybody who probably would have been behind me on the list that you would have selected to pass for 21, it's my buddy Ryan. I think at that point, he's probably, um, he was just under six foot, but he might have been 140 pounds soaking wet. So we are not the couple of guys that are going to be able to go in and pass for 24. But on this given day, we decide we're going to prove our moxie. We're out west in the sticks of New Jersey. And we conclude that, you know what, it's going to be a little easier to make this effort out here. So we're talking about it during the day. And finally, it's the moment of truth. Workday is wrapped up. We head to the convenience store and we're in the parking lot. So he gives me this big pep talk. He says, listen, we're going to go in. And we decided because we did everything together, we're going to go in together and we're going to walk right to the freezers. He said, don't hesitate. Don't head for the chips. Walk directly to the freezer. We'll get the case of beer out of there. We'll pick whatever's closest. We'll march up to the counter like we belong and we own the place. Put the case on the counter, take out our money and pay for the beer. So I said, right, makes sense. So we talk ourselves up and we get out of the car. And I remember my heart is just pounding. You know that feeling when you get that adrenaline where you just feel your chest starting to thump and it's going about 180 beats per minute? Well, that's exactly where I was. And as we walk in, I'm starting to have all those thoughts, the what ifs, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if they know we're not 21? What if they ask us for ID and we don't have any? What if we get caught and my parents find out? What if, what if, what if? So the moment of truth arrives. So we open the door, we see the freezers in the back and we march with a purpose dead ahead. We are locked in and it's about a 20 foot walk from the door to the freezers. We're marching ahead 15 feet, 10 feet and five feet away from the freezer on cue, unspoken without looking at one another. We simultaneously, as we're side by side, we take a 90 degree right turn and what do we do? 
we head for the chips. There we are in the chips aisle. And I give him a look and I have lasers that could go through him. And I give him a look as if to say, what are you doing? And so I whisper exactly that. What are you doing? Why did you head for the chips? And he looks back at me and says, why did you head for the chips? And, and he says, because you did. So here we are bickering at each other at a whisper and, and we're haggling it out. And so we're trying to get our moxie up to go back towards the freezer because the whole plan is now blown. And what did we do? We linger in the chip aisle for a couple more minutes. And what did we do? We pick up what we need. We march up to the counter. Me with my bag of smart food cheese popcorn. Him with a can of Pringles sour cream and onion. We make our purchases and sheepishly walk out of the store defeated. So we get back in the car. Our mission is blown. I think the next week we talked it over again. But at the end of the day, we never executed. So our ill-fated plan never came to fruition. And you know what? Who knows? Maybe it was a blessing. So like always, he and I spent a lot of time together and we almost had our own language. We used to have nicknames for people. We used to talk in code based on things that happened. And after that moment, this became the moniker. Every time there was something to do that required a little bit of courage, we would always say, make sure you do it. Don't, don't head for the chips again. And this became our battle cry. So it always became a great source of humor. So over time, that became the thing. And it was kind of funny when in college, how many different opportunities you're confronted by that. I distinctly remember that he and I, you know, we would, we worked together the following summer. We were both summer interns. He was working on stock exchange floor. I was working for NatWest Bank. And so we had to take the train together. We'd take the path of the ferry. We'd be in the World Financial Center. And occasionally we would go to a, to grab a, at this time, we're now 21. And, uh, and we had, we had the ability to obviously drink legally, no issues there. And we'd see the, we'd, we'd be down at the bar. And I think at the time I would, might see an attractive girl. And it was always that decision. Do you go up to a stranger or do you head for the chips? And Sometimes I'd win the battle. Sometimes I'd head for the chips. And it was so interesting how that dynamic always continued to play out. So sometimes you go to college or in the summertime, there'd be this party where we didn't know many people. Do we decide to go, even though it's a couple of people we don't know very well and take the risk? Or do you head for the chips? Do nothing. The same decision confronted me that next year. I was graduating college and I found myself thinking about what to do with my future. And I never quite got that clarity. So I do what everybody else did. I applied to investment banks and consulting firms because it had some prestige and it sounded like the thing to do. And once again, do I decide to make that left turn and move away from that decision to do something else maybe my heart really wanted to do to pursue a passion that was yet to be found? Or do I head for the chips and just kind of do the thing because it seems like the right thing to do? Well, 
ultimately, I did make that choice. I made the courageous choice without having any idea what to do next, without any plan specifically of how it would get done, that a couple months I decided to say no to those jobs, I had some great offers. And then as the spring played out, I decided to take a full leap of faith and pursue at that time a career in acting. I didn't have an agent, I had no formal training, and I had no background other than a high school theater class. But yet, what happened in the next couple of years was so interesting. I found myself making contacts and I wound up in the most prestigious two-year training program in New York City at the William Esper Studio. I found myself through conversations and connections taking a risk to go meet an agent who then ended up being my commercial representation who got me the opportunity to be in a seven up commercial and to do some radio voiceovers. So every time I followed that voice to do the bold, courageous thing, despite the fact that I was afraid, despite the fact that it was a white knuckle moment where my heart was racing that 180 to 200 beats per minute, things worked out well. Life ended up having a certain excitement to it. And I knew I'd follow my gut and my instinct. And there was a reward in that. And every time I didn't do that, every time I decided to play it safe, to do the traditional path, I felt like there was a regret. Every time I decided not to take the courageous chance and to bet on myself, I ended up being disappointed, frustrated with the indecision. Because sometimes waiting for that window, the window closed and I didn't have that opportunity to do that next right thing. And what's so funny is throughout the course of these last three decades, I realized that the whole decision of whether or not to head for the chips is a running thread. And it's not just a running thread in my life. I know it's a running thread in others too. At work, how many times are we confronted with that difficult choice to have a courageous conversation with a colleague that might cause some friction, but you know is the right move to do because it requires that honesty and requires that directness that people deserve and respect, or the choice either just shoot an email to somebody or take no action at all. How many times as a spouse does it require you to have the challenging conversation where the easy choice is, well, you know what? It's a holiday or a Sunday. I'm just going to postpone this for another day or a week, as opposed to having the conversation and understanding that sometimes the difficult one is the right one that needs to be had. And you come to a good common ground or a positive place because you had the courage. How many times as a parent are you required to challenge your kids and to face that choice of putting that hard thing in front of them and having the difficult conversation with them as opposed to just letting sleeping dogs lie, being apathetic or choosing to do nothing and let nature take its course. So three decades later, I realized that heading for the chips isn't just a catchphrase, it's a way of life. I should rather say not heading for the chips is a way of life that I intend to conduct. 
because heading for the chips has really only led to that regret, disappointment, and heartbreak, maybe just in a longer, slower form. So as I realize I read and I learn from other people, this is a major theme. As I think about, I'm sitting here next to my high-performance planner and what sits next to me here. As I think about planning my days and my weeks and doing my monthly reviews. What is Brendan Burchard's, one of his six high-performance habits? And what's the one he ranks number one as the most important one to lead that life of personal leadership? It's courage. It's courage. It's living intentionally and sharing your real self with others. It's living intentionally and doing the thing that's required What when it really may not be the thing you want to do. It's courage. It's self-advocating when you're in that difficult situation that sometimes it's not the pleasant thing to do, but you know you're putting yourself on the path to making sure that you're authentic in and of yourself and you're leading with your values. So while this was a great trip down memory lane, and I'm so glad over this week of Thanksgiving, I had a chance to recap the story with Ryan and remembering the, the folly of heading for the chips and our initial effort to kind of fail to hit the mark back in Hackettstown. I'm grateful that I rediscovered this particular lesson because it's the easiest thing to do is just do nothing. Easiest thing to do is to take that path of least resistance. But progress, whether it's personally, professionally, or relationally, it never comes from doing nothing. It never comes from the easy path. It's usually doing what's required, facing up to that fear, and simply doing the thing. It's building that muscle day in and day out, even when you don't feel like it. So as you head into this last month of the year, as you think about the road ahead, I encourage you to see those opportunities as they face you. And when you're at those crossroads decisions, when you have that opportunity, what are you going to do? Are you going to head for the chips or are you going to face the music and go and put decide to bet on yourself? Are you going to be able to put fear aside and execute or are you going to cower in the background and hope that something's going to land in your lap. I'm going to encourage you to take action. I'm going to encourage you to take that path of courage because if you do, you're going to put yourself in an exciting place. And look, it's not that every decision is always going to be the right one, but it's got to be the one that you know authentically came from right here, from right here, and from that gut. So good luck as you face these decisions this day, this week, and this month. And I hope this serves you well as you close out 2023. Have a great day, and I'll see you in the next episode.